All right, well, this morning uh, we are going to start uh, a little bit of a mini-series, if you will, for a little while. I'm not sure it will take three, four, five weeks. We'll see how it lasts. Um, uh, but we are going to be looking at a book of the Bible that many times uh, has not really looked at or preached that often. Um, and if it is, usually it's a one-shot thing. Uh, and uh, we're going to attempt to look at this book and see what it means for us and how we can take God's Word in this particular book we're going to look at and see how it can change our lives. And it's interesting that this is the book that we're going to start looking at. This is the book of Philemon. Uh, Philemon, it's a little tiny book in your New Testament. Uh, if, you, if you look it up, it's right before Hebrews. So it's getting towards the end of the New Testament. Philemon, it's about 20, uh, 24, 25 verses long. A uh, little tiny book in the middle of Paul's epistles. And we look at it and we say, well, it's a small book, but it has so much meaning. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is, is we're coming into Valentine's Day. And I know I, I don't know if that's why we sang a lot about love or it just happens to be that way. But we sang about God's love to us. Uh, but this book is all about relationships. It's about relational living and how we can relate to God and how we can relate to one another. And we're going to look at it, like I said, for several weeks, to, and it might be split up depending on when John's able to be up here and when I'm up here, and it, you know, it'll be kind of a, a meandering stream, if you will. But we will follow through the book of Philemon as we see what Paul is writing to the, the uh, uh, not even a church, although it is to a church, but it's really to an individual. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the book if you're not familiar with Philemon. So we'll start with that so you have a basic understanding of where we are and what this book is even, what the setting is for this book. Uh, the setting of this book is this is one of Paul's uh, prison epistles is what we call it. He is actually uh, in custody. Uh, he is not, however, a prisoner in the sense that we think a prisoner. He's not locked behind bars in some prison uh, somewhere where he's... Uh, uh, being mistreated severely. A lot of times we think of prisoners, we think of prisons, and that might be what we think about. But actually, as we look at the historical context of where this book is written by Paul, and some of the things he even says in the book himself, itself, although he is in prison, he's been in custody of Rome, he's really under house arrest. Um, it was interesting, as a Roman citizen, uh, he was not being treated as many others would be, he is obviously under arrest for sharing the gospel, uh, but yet he is in Rome and he's awaiting uh, sentencing and all of these other things, and he is in prison, but is a house arrest in the sense that he can't go anywhere or do anything, but yet at the same time, he still can have people in, he can have people leave, he can send letters freely, uh, actually quite a bit of freedom in the sense of still being a prisoner at this point of, of his life. He, we're told that uh, in this book, as we read through it, you're actually going to see that he calls himself an old man at some point. So we know that uh, he has had some time in ministry now. He's not fresh and, and new. He's had some time to understand uh, even more about Christ and about how to relate to one another. And, and these are all going to be important things. Why Paul is writing this book, that's the next thing you need to understand. If you've heard about Philemon, you know that there's a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus is apparently, from what we can tell as we look at history and as we look at this book, uh, he is a runaway slave. Uh, he has uh, run away from his owner, which is Philemon, hence the name of the book. He's run away from his owner. 
presumably what we can see is that he's come to Rome because in Rome you can kind of hide. Uh, he's come to Rome, you can kind of hide and, and you know, you would be sought after, but you could kind of hide in the big, big areas and kind of just stay out of the way where nobody really cared about a runaway slave that was wandering around. And so Onesimus has, has run away from Philemon, which was in Colossae. That's where Philemon was from. You know, we have the book of Colossians. That's the book that was written to that city's church. But we see now that Onesimus has come from there, gone to Rome, and at some point in this process, and we don't have the whole story, but we can look at some things and figure out some stuff, and that is that apparently as Onesimus ran away from his owner in Colossae, he ends up under the ministry of Paul. And by God's, uh, by God's sovereignty, he draws Onesimus towards Paul. Paul then shares the gospel, and actually we're told in Philemon that Onesimus has become his son in the faith. In other words, Onesimus came to know Jesus as a result of the ministry of Paul. So even though he ran away to get freedom and to, and that's obviously a very rebellious act, and there's a good chance based on some context that he either stole from Philemon before he left, or at the very least, by leaving, really hurt Philemon's financial uh, doings. He may have been a, 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 one of the slaves in charge of finances. We're not sure. But in all that rebellion, he's left. But now he's come to the Lord. Paul has led him to Christ. And that's kind of now the context of where we're at. So what Paul writes in Philemon is he's writing a, le- a letter to Philemon for Onesimus to bring to him. See, Onesimus now is at the point where he's being sent back to the slave owner, the master, that he had left, that he had run away from. Now, in, in, no matter what society you're looking at, if you think about this, a slave going, this would not be a um, comfortable thing, okay? This is going to be uh, a slave going back to the owner that he ran from and defrauded. And, and of course, there's going to be some fear, some anxiety as Onesimus is going to be sent back. But here's the interesting about, thing about Philemon, which we will see as we read through this book in just a second, is that Philemon is not just some ordinary run-of-the-mill slave owner. He is actually a Christian and one of the main leaders in the church of Colossae. So we actually see that he is a man of faith, that he knows Jesus. And so things have changed. So now we've got one believer going back to another believer, and yet there's still going to be this little bit of anxiety on Onesimus' part as he has ran away and now is coming back. So what Paul decides to do is Paul, as a friend of Philemon, is going to send a letter with Onesimus, a personal letter. That's what makes this book very interesting. Most of the books, even Paul's books, as he writes them, are letters to churches. And a lot of times it's to correct things that they're doing wrong or maybe just to instruct them in how they're doing things right and to continue that on. But it's based to churches and it's about ministry and it's about how to share the gospel. It's what to believe. It's how to act. It's all those things. And so a lot of these epistles that we look at that Paul has written, it's, we can look at it and say, okay, this is what Paul is trying to say. This is what I can understand from it because he's giving instructions on how to live the Christian life. But this book is different. See, this book is a personal letter that is being written from Paul to a person, to Philemon. And, and so it makes it a little more difficult to say, all right, so we almost feel like we're eavesdropping. Like there's this really good conversation going on between friends. But God allowed this book, this letter, to be included into our canon. So it's there for a reason. This wasn't just some personal letter that we can learn nothing from. That's obvious by the fact that it is in Scripture. 
And so that is the background of this book. Now, uh, many people look at Philemon and they think that this is a book about slavery. That we can take some time to look about whether slavery is okay or whether it's not okay, how Paul viewed it. The truth of the matter is, this book doesn't really talk a whole lot about what slavery is or how it should, if it should be, if, it, if we're against it or for it, all those different things. I think there's some principles that we will see as we look through that will guide our thinking in that process. But that primarily is not what this book is about. As I said earlier, I believe that the primary thing that this book is talking about that is showing us is that how we are to have relationship, how we are to relate, like I said, to God and to others. And as we break down this book, I think we're going to see that there are some certain ways that we relate to God, first of all. That's what we're going to look at today. And then over the next few weeks, as, we, as I preach, we will then also look at how we can relate to one another. And as we get to the end of Philemon, I believe we will see this, this truth of what a believer's responsibility is, both before God and before others, when it comes to how we relate And it's completely different than the way the world expects us to relate to God and to relate to one another. And it's going to be countercultural, both in this culture and I would say all cultures of all time, as we look at this. So today we're going to look at just the first few verses, actually. But before we look at those, I do want to read the whole book. So you've got a context, so you've got a whole idea of what's happening here in Philemon. Like I said, it's only only a, a 25 verse uh, book. So it won't take us long, but let's go to Philemon. If you haven't already turned there, let's turn there and read together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus, towards all the saints, and that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you of what is fitting, yet for love's sake I will rather appeal to you, Being such as one as Paul, the aged and now the prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, whom once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, but on your behalf that he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as, as if it were, but instead voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account." I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience as I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me that I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristocharis, Demas, Demas, Luke, and my fellow laborers. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So this is the book, this is the letter that Paul writes to Philemon. Now today we're going to break it down. We're going to look at only the first two verses. You say, how can you get anything out of the first two verses? Well, uh, I believe there's actually a lot of truth here. In Paul's greetings, almost any of his books, uh, his greetings are so powerful. And he says things on on purpose. Uh, He doesn't just make up random greetings like sometimes we do. Like, I'm, you know, I'm tired of saying, dear John, so I'm going to say... Uh, my dear brother or my what okay you know we try to make things up but paul has purpose in how he addresses people in all of his epistles and i believe the same thing is true here not only how he addresses people but how he addresses himself and these are going to be important things we see as we look at this first couple verses of philemon so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at three ways that we should relate to god Uh, three ways according to this introduction that is given to us by paul that our we can relate to god that our relationship would should look like what it should be like as we look at how we relate to him and the first thing is by how he acknowledges himself in the very first verse this is what we read it says paul a prisoner of christ jesus and timothy our brother so we know that timothy's with him but paul is the writer and what does he call himself he calls himself a prisoner of christ jesus Now, for sure, we know that Paul is in house arrest at this point. He is a prisoner. But the interesting thing here is he doesn't say that he's a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say he's a prisoner even for Christ Jesus or on account of, although some of your translations may say that. But really, in the Greek, it's simply this. It's a possessive thing. It's we, he says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that's an interesting concept there because he's, saying something that doesn't seem to make sense. Like he's a prisoner of Rome. They're the ones that have imprisoned him. And I think Paul is kind of playing on this metaphor of prison. Paul is saying, look, yes, I am in prison, and Rome is the one that thinks they have me as a prisoner, but truly the only person that I'm truly a prisoner of is Jesus Christ. Now, I know a lot of you are kind of bristling a little bit and thinking, wait a minute, that's not a good thing. Like, wait a minute, I don't want to be a prisoner of anybody. Like, I want to be free. Like that's, that's what we're called. We're, we're free people. Uh, what do you mean a prisoner of Christ? Uh, well, I would say this. Paul has a very accurate and healthy look at how he relates to God. And that is that he is literally nothing and just a prisoner of his. Now, let's explain that for a minute. Uh, a prisoner, if you think about it. Uh, now, what, remember what I described. He's in house arrest. He kind of has some freedom. But yet at the same time, there are certain things that he's abiding by. He can only go and do what Rome says he can go and do. He can only follow what they're asking him to do. He can't go out on his own accord and do his own thing and be a renegade here. He's, he's got some... He, he, but on the, other, on the other hand, everything is taken care, care of for him. He's got a house. He's, he's being provided for. Uh, there is really little to be concerned about because even though he's a prisoner and he can't go and do as he pleases that he can only do what rome says he can do he's still taken care of and he's still doing so well in fact that he's got friends that are there that are ministering to him that he's being able to send letters out and receive letters and he's able to communicate he's able to do ministry all of these things are happening in his life and yet you think about all that and you think well how did paul see himself as a prisoner of christ Well, I think some of the same things can apply. Uh, 
he's taken care of. Uh, he is protected. Once again, in that prison, there would be guards that would be there, not necessarily only to keep him in, but also to protect him. You see, so he'd be protected and cared for, while at the same time, he's not going out and doing his own thing. That he is a prisoner of Christ in the fact that he has submitted his will to Jesus in the point that now he is going to follow Jesus and he is the one, God God is everything. Christ is everything to him and he's not going to set off on his own. Now this might sound a little familiar because really um, this is exactly what John was preaching about there for a while about being a slave of Christ. The same idea, prisoner, slave, it's got the same idea. But see, in our minds, because we live in this culture, both these words are terrible words. We think a prisoner is a bad thing. We think slave is a bad thing. And you know what? There are bad things that can happen with both of those things. But the truth of the matter is, going back to the idea of a slave, look at the positives of a slave. Don't look at the negatives. Okay, yeah, they didn't have complete freedom. But actually, in that day, and this actually kind of applies to like Onesimus too, like, yeah, he ran away, but really, a lot of slaves didn't run away. And the reason was is because they had it pretty good. You would actually rather be a slave than a free man in some cases. Because you would have all your needs taken care of. You, wouldn't, you would be able to follow your master wherever he would go. And, and in most cases at this point in history, the masters loved their slaves and cared for their slaves in most cases. And so actually as a slave, you were actually looked at and you, and you also had... The interesting thing about a slave, uh, you also had the, the position of your master in a sense. Like the, the higher up your master was, the more important of a slave you were. And here's the point. Uh, Back then, that was how slavery was. And like I said, a prisoner, in Paul's context here, was one who was at the complete custody of Rome and yet was able to, to serve and do things. And the same idea is here with slave, that it's actually a good thing. You're cared for. You're protected. You are identified by your master. These are things that we can claim as Christians, right? We are identified by Jesus Christ as we follow him. Like, he is the one that we follow as a slave, and therefore he is our identity. We have this idea that he protects and cares for us, that he guides us and leads us, and we follow him. And yet, in all of that, yes, that means that we don't have unbridled freedom, where we can just do whatever we want, and it doesn't matter to the master. We want to please the master. Just like a prisoner, uh, he had a lot of freedom, but he wasn't going to go running off. He wasn't going to set off on his own. And so Paul sees that he is so submitted to Jesus, that his life is so in Christ, that his life is so directed by Jesus, that he sees it as if, as if he is a prisoner of him. Uh, Romans uh, 6.22. Uh, Romans 6.22 talks about this idea again. This is actually about, more about slavery, but once again, I see a great comparison here between prisoner and slave. Uh, Romans 6.22 Romans 6.22, and John may have read this as he went through the slave idea. But it says this, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have put your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. And that's important that we understand that we are slaves of God once we're set free from sin. Actually, in one of our songs, we sang about the fact that that Christ has paid our ransom. He bought us. And this idea of ransom and about buying, and we're going to look at a verse in just a second. He, 
we are bought, and he had bought us from one slave owner, which was sin, and brought us to him. And now he is our master, and we follow him, and everything we have flows from him. That we, are, we should be so submitted, and we should be so looking to him in every aspect of our lives, that that is are the calling of our life, that we would be seen as a prisoner or as a slave. And I know those are tough words to think, and it's not a happy thought sometimes when we think about we are putting ourselves under submission of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet that's exactly what we're doing. One other passage I want to read before we move on to the second relationship that we should have with God uh, is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verses 22 through 23. And this, once again, has this connotation of slavery as we look at it, but uh, yet there's this key that we're going to see in verse 23 that I already just mentioned. But here's the deal in 1 Corinthians 7, um, and we are uh, looking at verses 22 and 23. It says this, "For For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman... Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. But here's the key, here's the key verse here. You were bought at a price. Uh, do not become slaves of men. Uh, we are bought at a price. Uh, and so the point here is we are told that we are bought with a price and therefore we are Christ's slaves. We are not any longer burned by man, but instead we are Christ's slaves. And here's what I want to say. A lot of times we're talking about our identity. Our identity is prisoner or slave. But here's the deal. Our identity, a lot of times we use the word identity and this is what we mean by it. Well, who am I? And a lot of us will say, well, my identity is who I am in Christ. Uh, But it's not actually who am I. The actual more accurate way to ask the question of a Christian's identity is this. Not who am I, but whose am I? And that's that's a big difference. Because it's not about us and who we are, but it's about who he is through us. And so we see that we are bought with a price, that we are his, that it's whose we are, it's not who we are. That is fundamental to our Christian life. Because if we think that somehow our identity is dependent upon us, we're missing the point. Our identity is based on him, therefore we're a prisoner, therefore we're a slave. And I know that's hard sometimes to hear, but we are committed and submitted and surrendered to him, And we are a prisoner of him in a very real sense in the best way possible. And the same thing with slaves. Let's look at this next way that Paul writes in this greeting of Philemon that we are to relate in our relationship with God uh, and uh, goes to how he uh, addresses Philemon. So he addresses himself as a prisoner and then he goes to Philemon. He says, to Philemon, our beloved and fellow laborer. Laborer. So that's the next word we're going to look at. So first of all, we are prisoners, but now also we are laborers. Now, if you're, you're getting a little bit of a, uh, a, a feel here, these are not words that often we like to hear because a lot of us, let's face it, we don't like to work. Now, okay, we like to work. We should like to work because God created work. But a lot of us have this view of, hey, let's work so I can get to the weekend or let's work so I can get to my vacation. That's, that's a lot how a lot of us view things. And yet, so a laborer, uh, and it's not, just a, it's not just a worker, this is a laborer, someone who labors. And here's what I think we want to see, that Paul is making this point to Philemon, he's making this point to us, that his fellow Christian, who he's now addressing, is a fellow laborer, a worker, someone who is laboring for Christ. You see, following Christ is hard work. 
Paul reminds us of this in this greeting to Philemon. It is hard work to be a Christian. It is hard work to follow Christ. It is hard work to do ministry. And unfortunately, today's Christianity in a lot of ways has lost this. We think that once we come to Christ, we can just sit back and be lazy in our lives. That is actually the exact opposite of what we're called to do. We are called to be laborers. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, uh, Be diligent to present yourself, what? A workman who does not need to be ashamed. Doesn't say any, that's how we are identified in that passage. That as we work hard, we are diligent. We are doing our best to present ourselves as a worker. Someone who is a laborer, who is working for the cause of Christ. Well, that brings us to the question, what exactly are we working towards? What is this labor all about? Does it just mean that we need to be hard workers? Uh, No, that's not what it's about. Uh, We are a laborer for Christ. So let's see what that means by going to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we get this idea of what it looks like to be a laborer for Christ and what it means to labor for Christ and how we should labor for him. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be in verses 35 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And this is, we see part of Jesus' life and this is what we see happening. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What does it look like to be a laborer for Christ? Well, I think it's based on Christ's example. Because here in verse 35, what is he doing? It's talking about his teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is doing kingdom work. He is doing ministry. He is spreading the gospel. He is sharing uh, God's word to people. It says he's teaching. It says he is preaching the gospel. He's healing. He's doing ministry. And he's doing all of this. And then he sees the multitudes that are following him. And all of a sudden it says he's moved with compassion In other words, he sees this group of people and he's just heartbroken and understanding that there are that many people that need the gospel and how is he, how are all these people going to be able to hear? But then he says to the disciples that are following him, he says, look, the harvest is truly plentiful. Look at this group of people. Look at this multitude that are just hungry and ready to hear the word and ready to hear the gospel. And he says, but the laborers are few. At that time, it was him and really just a few others that were closely following him. And he said, so we need to pray that the more laborers will come into the harvest. So we need laborers who will teach and preach the gospel. We need laborers who will uh, be ready to uh, take in the harvest. Obviously not a physical harvest, a harvest of souls as people come to Jesus, as people come to understand the gospel, that we labor towards that end that we labor towards people knowing Jesus and we labor towards the kingdom. We labor towards those things. The other thing here too is he says he has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. You know, we are responsible to shepherd people towards Christ. That's the whole point. So what is a laborer? Why does Paul call Philemon a fellow laborer? Well, it's because we labor for the gospel. So my question is, 
Do you live a life that is one of being a prisoner and being submitted to Christ? Do you live a life now of also being a laborer, one who works towards sharing the gospel, works towards his kingdom? Or are we just sitting around? So as we see whose we are, then we understand that lazy living is not how we should relate to Christ. We relate to Christ through working, through labor. You see, it's not easy, it's not comfortable. This is labor. We're going to continue that idea as we move on to our third point this morning on who we are based on whose we are. As we look at how we relate to God, not only are we prisoners, not only are we laborers, but finally, back in the book of Philemon, this is what we see now as he continues to talk. And he says to Philemon, our beloved and fellow laborer, to the beloved uh, Apphia, and then Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Uh, these people, it seems like uh, Apphia is probably Philemon's wife. We're not positive, but we think that might be it. And then this Arch- Archippus might be his son, but at the very least, it's somebody who's part of the church there. And here's what we get here. Uh, he calls him here a fellow soldier. So here's our third thing. So we saw that we're prisoners, we saw that we're laborers, and now we see that he's addressing another person. He says, you are a soldier. You are a soldier. So this reminds us of one very important thing as we think about how we relate to God. And that is, not only are we prisoners, not only are we laborers, but we are in a fight. That our Christian life is a battle. Uh, We are in a battle and we are in a fight. It is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You see, this isn't just about, hey, be a Christian because it's super easy and you can get through life and everything will be great. Okay, that's not the point here. What we're told is not only will we be prisoners, which is hard, laborers, which is hard, but now we're also going to be soldiers, which is also another point of being a hard thing. Say, well, yeah, we're in a battle. What does that mean? Well, I think many of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about the armor of God. I won't go through all the pieces of the armor today. We could do that at another point. Uh, But the whole point there in Ephesians chapter 6 is that we are in a battle and we need to arm ourselves as soldiers would arm ourselves. And actually, if some of you I know you're already turning over there, but if we look at that in Ephesians chapter 6, specifically verse 12, as we look at Ephesians 6.12, we're going to see this idea that we are in a battle. Ephesians 6.12. And you know, many of you know this verse, but it says this. um, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... There is a very obvious connection here that the Christian life is a battle. It's a battle against all that is against God. Uh, Principalities, powers, it's all that that is saying, I'm going to turn this world against God. It's a battle against them and for Christ. And therefore, we put on the armor of God as he protects us as soldiers. There's another passage in Scripture that talks about this idea of us being soldiers. This isn't just just happens to be in the greeting to Philemon. Paul also uses the same analogy in the book of 2 Timothy. So uh, we need to turn there as we look to 2 Timothy to see exactly here what a prisoner, or I'm not, I'm sorry, a soldier looks like. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. 2 Timothy 2, 
verses 3 and 4. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. And this is what we read as Paul tells us what it means to be a soldier for Christ. It says this, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. Well, there's a couple of points that we can easily see in this passage as it talks about our life in Christ as being one of a soldier. It says, first of all, that we must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen, a soldier goes to war. That, by definition, is hardship. That, by definition, is, is going to be a stressful experience. And so a soldier goes to war for the person that enlisted them. And the thing is, it says we need to endure hardship. Understand that this life is going to be hard. The Christian life is hard. It's going to be war. And therefore, we need to be prepared. And that's where Ephesians 6 talked about. But here it also says that not only that, but also the, the person, the soldier, is interested in fighting for the person that enlisted them. Or really, the soldier is fighting for whatever cause it is that is behind the soldier. He doesn't get distracted looking at other things. He, he goes forward and he understands what his goal is. Uh, Little, by means of illustration, really quickly, I saw a movie not too long ago. I shouldn't endorse movies, I guess. But it's, it was Hacksaw Ridge. If some of you saw that movie, it was about a medic that went in and he saved 75 people's lives in the midst of, of total carnage and fighting and shooting and blowing up and all that kind of stuff. It's an action movie. All right, but the, the thing is, um, what he did was very interesting. You see, with all those distractions around him, yet he had one goal. He knew that his job that day was to save lives, that he was a medic, and that's what he was called to do, and that's what he had trained to do. And you know what he kept doing? He kept running back into the blast zone. Even though there was bombs exploding everywhere, gunfire going off, there was Japanese soldiers roaming around trying to kill whoever they could find, and yet he's running in and he's doing what he knew his mission was. He didn't let all the bombs distract him. He didn't even let other soldiers distract him. He just went with one single focus as a soldier. And you see, I think that's actually a great example of what we're called to do as Christians. That we keep going forward as a soldier. We are fighting for the gospel. We are fighting for Jesus Christ. And we don't let the bombs of this world that are being thrown all around us try to distract us. That we don't get distracted by what this world is offering us. That we don't get distracted even by the opportunity to surrender or the opportunity to have comfort. No, we keep going forward and we keep fighting for Christ. That is what we're called to do as Christians. And this is what Second Timothy is talking about. It's what Paul is talking about back in Philemon when he says, You are a fellow soldier. You see, here's the truth I think we can really see, that our relationship to Christ is not meant to be an easy and comfortable relationship. Actually, it's just the opposite. That our Christian life isn't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to mean fighting against things even when it doesn't. we don't want to because we're going to have that singular focus. And we need to be soldiers. And so these are some hard things today. And I promise you, next sermon, it's going to get a little lighter. We're going to talk about love and how we treat one another in love. And that's so much nicer to talk about. But we needed to get here. We needed to talk about all of this because it matters. If we understand how we relate to Christ, then we can understand how we relate to one another. Because before we can have love and unselfishness and we can pour into other people, we need to have our relationship right with Christ. And our relationship looks like these things. We are a prisoner of his. We are completely submitted to him. 
and we trust him for everything. We are laborers in the sense that we are working for his glory, we are working for his gospel, and finally we are soldiers in the fact that we are fighting each and every day to give him glory, fighting each and every day for him. So those are the three ways that we can relate to God. But here I want to say one other thing that I think is vitally important before we end this sermon. And that is another key word that we see throughout this passage that actually gives us an added layer to our understanding of our identity and as being whose we are, our identity in Christ of being soldiers, of being uh, laborers and being prisoners. There's also a key element that we can't miss. And that key element is found in one key word that is seen uh, throughout the book of Philemon, but here we're going to look at several instances. Okay, first one in verse 1, it says, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm going to connect that actually to the end of the book. Uh, at the end of the book in verse 23, Paul says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's a connection there. Uh, then we also see next, it says to Philemon, our beloved and fellow laborer. And finally, when it talks about Archippus, our fellow Soldier. Now, what's the key word you heard three times? Fellow. You're listening. Great. All right. So, fellow. We are fellows. Now, this. What word do we get? What? What? Yeah, big word. Fellowship. Right. All right. Here's the thing. These are the way we relate to God. But as we relate to God in these three ways, we are fellows in it. In other words, we are together. We are having fellowship. We are connected. Really what I'm trying to say here is this, that as we are prisoners, as we are laborers, as we are soldiers, we do it together. You see, we are not called to be independent renegades. Going back to the soldier thing, we are not called to be Rambo, okay? We are not called to go off on our own and just kill as many people as we can because we're a one-man army. That is not what we're called for, all right? It goes to laborers, too. You guys know that if you're doing a job, I mean, many hands make light work, right? The more people you have working at a job, the easier and better and more productive that job is. See, a soldier goes out by themselves, unless it's a movie, they're going to get killed, okay? A soldier goes out, they're not going to have any success. They're not going to have any hope. They're going to be destroyed. If a laborer works alone, they're not going to be productive. And if a prisoner is alone, if you think about this, what do they do to inmates when they're bad in prison? They put them in solitary confinement. Because what they know is one thing, and this is very true, that the very worst punishment you can ever face is to be apart from people. And so here's the thing. A prisoner has no hope when they're alone. They strip hope from people when they put them in the solitary confinement. And so as we work together, as we are fellow soldiers, we fight together. We fight side by side. I fight for you. You fight for me. And we fight for Christ together. And as we do that, we can fight together, and that's what we're called to do. And the rest of this book is going to talk about how we relate to one another and how we work together, how we are soldiers, how we labor together, how we do the work of the gospel together. And we don't just go off on our own and think that somehow we can uh, just win this world to Christ by just ourselves. God is the one that wins the people to Christ, and we are called to come along but with one another, that we work together, that we have fellowship and, and finally, this pr- idea of prisoner, that as I submit to Christ, you are also submitted to Christ, which means we end up submitting to each other, and we all together have this understanding that we are putting everything in God's hands, that we are completely surrendered to him, that we are completely in his hands and letting him provide for us. But it's important that we don't do this 
alone. It's important that our, we, our relationship with Christ is not in, in isolation. It will not do any good. It will not be productive. It will not be the growth. And it will not provide the, the connection with Christ that we need because we are called to do it together. And like I said, as we go through the rest of Philemon, we're going to see this idea again and again and again and again that we need one another and that we need to function with one another and we need to not try to be our own. See, today's American Christianity says you just worry about your own faith, you just move on, you can do whatever you need to do. It's individualistic, it's let's just do what makes you happy. But God, there's nothing further from the truth. Here's another point we see in Philemon. This is very interesting. This idea of fellow also comes out here. And it says this, after it says all the people that he's writing to, he, he finishes in verse 2 by saying, and to the church that is in your house. Now listen to this. Paul is writing a personal letter to a personal friend and his family. But then he says, but this letter is not just for you, it's for the whole church. Now why would he say this? Because the understanding is this. That what Paul is asking Philemon to do is not just about him and Philemon. That what he is asking Philemon to do in showing forgiveness, love, grace, and receiving Onesimus back. All, when that happens, this is an act of the church. This is an act of a body of believers bringing a person in and forgiving and giving love and giving support. That is what Paul is asking for. But it's not just an individual thing. So it says, hey, Philemon, do the right thing. It's, hey, Philemon, do the right thing and have your church come along with you. See, I'm afraid that too many of us get so caught up in thinking that we are just running this life by ourselves. And that's seen through the times when we voluntarily choose not to be with one another. It's seen through the times that we try to do everything on our own. It's seen through the times that... Uh, we are facing pride and we think that somehow we know better than everybody else. When all these things come together, that is the worst thing we can do. We need to work together. We need to fight together. We need to be prisoners together. And that's what I want to just, just point out again and again and again. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and I'm sure John will get to this as he preaches, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 through 12, many of you know this passage but it, it, it talks about how a cord of three will not be easy, easily broken, if you know that passage. But let's go and see what the rest of it says. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 4, uh, it's interesting. And like I said, I, I'm sure John will get to this through his Ecclesiastes series. Uh, and, but as we look at this, this is ideal for what we're talking about. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. says this, two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can the one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now Solomon is talking here and he's talking about how people waste their lives by just trying to do everything on their own. He says they, they just toil by themselves and it's not, it's not worth anything. And he said, but this is what's important, that we do things with one another, together. 
Now, your Bible may say it's the value of a friend. I don't think it's just about friendship. I think this is about relationship with fellow believers. I think this is relationship with others, that we need to do this together. We need to labor together, work together, fight together, be together. You see, when the the hardships of this life and when the world bombs us, we're not going to be able to get through it if we just stand on our own. We need one another. And my plea and my call, especially as we go through Philemon, is this that you will not allow yourself, that you will call upon God to help you not live this Christian life in a bubble on your own, in your own way. That you come together with believers, you find opportunities to be with believers, that you work together with believers, that you find ways to minister with one another, and you don't just come and sit in a seat and then leave or not come at all, but you would be here, and you'd really be here, and that we would work together, and we could join hands, we can join hearts, and we can do this thing together, that we can relate to God together, that we can be a community, that we, can't, that we won't just run off on our own. So really, as we sum everything up, God has made us to be prisoners, soldiers, laborers, but he's made us to be those things together, that we have fellowship as we do those things. God doesn't want any of us to be Rambo. He wants us to serve one another, love one another, and be with one another as we are all these different things that we talked about today. I hope we remember this as we go forward into Philemon and that unity and that love and that care for one another is our, is our, is our cry. That as we look to our relationship with God, we would also look together towards that relationship. We, uh, now we'll head in and we'll sing our last song, I believe. And uh, if you guys would please stand for that.